Winangana is the Wiradjuri word for remember, know and think. Winangana is also the name of a new film by Wiradjuri artist Jazz Monet. The film is best described as a lyrical journey of archival footage and sound, poetry and original composition. The film Winangana explores how archives and the legacies of collections affect First Nations people and the wider Australian community. And I'm glad to say Jasmine has just joined us on NITV Radio to take us through the making of Winangana and more. Jasmine, welcome to NITV Radio again. Thank you for having me. It's lovely to be here. Now, take us through the journey into the making of uh, Winangana. Um, it's been a long journey. I started working on Winangana uh, in the second half of 2021. And it was always intended to be quite a short project, but because of um, the complexities of making a film like this and, and working with archival footage in this way, it meant that um, yeah, it's been it's been a long journey, <laughs> and it's very exciting to now be at the point where um, the film's coming out and going to be seen by audiences. It's um, quite nerve wracking as well. But basically, I've been working with the National Film and Sound Archive in Canberra for the past two years, um, going really deep into their digital collection, which comprises millions of sound and visual archives from across the continent. And I've been making a film that pertains specifically to how uh, archives and audiovisual content has affected the lives of First Nations people then and now and how we can uh, look at the legacies of these collections and try to try to address some of the harm that's been done and try to make those spaces safer for the future while also celebrating First Nations uh, content creators and audiovisual storytellers that are, have been telling stories the whole time. Yeah, I had the privilege of previewing the movie and uh, I can say there are archives and sounds that are not that positive but there are also some very positive stories uh, for history above myself like myself it's a really a treasure trove of uh, information uh, i particularly liked uh, the positive images uh, trailblazers opinion uh, leaders uh, like watching a kind of footage of Cathy freeman running at the olympics i, I won't reveal much i'll let the audience uh, go and discover by themselves <laughs> the process must have really been challenging over what to choose, what to leave out. There's so much information out there. It, ha- it must have been really a challenge uh, selecting what to include and uh, what to leave out. Absolutely. The film could be thousands of hours long. There is so much. There is so much material and there is so much to say. And it was really, really hard to decide what would make it into the final cut. And some of those things were my artistic choices. And then a lot of them were practical choices, things that already were in the NFSA digital collection, things that I could use legally, things that I could use culturally. And the way that the story was to be told, you know, um, I had given myself a pretty robust scaffold, those five chapters that you spoke about and, and really understood the way that the film would be told across these five chapters. I guess having a background as like a poet as well really helped me sort of understand how I was going to frame the story in that way. So I watched hundreds and hundreds of hours of footage. I looked at hundreds and hundreds of titles. Some of that stuff was really awful and some of it was really beautiful and finding the ways to string it together to tell a story that felt cohesive and took audiences on a journey 
that told the story that I was trying to tell, that I am trying to tell. Yeah, it was a really hard process. Very good uh, poetic and uh, excellent storytelling. I also liked uh, the way you bring in some um, very challenging figures, but uh, using uh, poetry and uh, very good and powerful spoken word artistry with uh, Stephen Oliver, who presents the very challenging numbers of um, indigenous incarceration. There's also the way you speak about... Uh, what I would call myself a rampant Australian generation that uh, is ongoing. Really challenging statistics, uh, but uh, told uh, with humour. Nevertheless, still very educational. Yeah, a, a lot of that sort of contextual stuff that made it into the film made it in initially because this film has always been intended to be seen by overseas audiences as well. One of the original partners for the whole project was the British Film Institute in London. In the formulating of the film, I always knew that it was going to be seen internationally. And that was a really interesting challenge because I typically make for First Nations audiences first. And, and that's the real joy and privilege of the work that I get to do as a Wiradjuri person. Um, and then when non-Indigenous audiences see my work, I understand that there are certain things that they will understand and certain things that they won't. And I'm, I'm okay with that. But in the context of making for an international audience, I realised that there were certain things that I couldn't assume that people would know about Australia. Um, and so that's where a lot of that sort of bigger historical stuff comes in and those sort of um, zoomed out view of, of politics and of history. And in doing that, I actually realised how many gaps there are in the white Australian knowledge set anyway. And that, I think, was a really um, surprising and also powerful effect of sort of taking that zoomed out view because you do get a lot of that data and statistics and sort of historical facts. I think presented in this way feels compelling, even though it's stuff that we as First Nations people are very, very familiar with. I think it does create the point and then creates the point of resistance and love and solidarity and joy as a form of protest much, much greater than it would have without that sort of uh, bedrock of history. Yeah, you bring all these stories together very, very beautifully. I like the way you actually introduce uh, all the chapters with uh, poetry. I think these poems uh, would do very well as uh, just a standalone uh, piece of work. But I must come to one of the chapters, uh, chapter four, I believe, where you say the stories were stolen, not given. Can you elaborate on this uh, for us? Like you said, the film has these um, five chapters and each one is introduced by a poem um, or part of a poem that I've written that I sort of wrote so that I understood what was happening in each chapter, but also to give the audience something to hold on to because it is a huge amount of information that you're getting. Um, just watching this archival footage. So the poem there presents like a bit of a pause and a bit of space and a bit of like sort of road signs so that you know what is about to happen. That idea of, of stories not given but taken really came from looking at this abundance of archival imagery and knowing how little of the, the historical stuff was done with consent, how much was done without community approval or consultation and also without community sign-off and also without community knowing now where those things are. That was something that was really, really hard for me as 
someone going through the archive to keep encountering footage of people and families and country and kin, knowing that it was very unlikely that the people depicted in that footage knew that that footage existed, which is a really, really horrifying thing to sort of encounter. Um, that sort of idea of story is not given but taken sits in parallel in the film with then reflecting on the stories that we choose to tell and the ways that we choose to tell them and the generosity of First Nations people in telling stories and um, reclaiming stories and reclaiming narratives that have been taken from us because we know that history is incredibly biased and we know that archives are non-neutral spaces that are designed to tell a particular narrative that uh, supports the colony and supports the the ideals of the colony, which isn't something that serves First Nations people. So challenging those narratives and bringing them into context of why they were made is a really big part of the overall purpose of Wenangana. And there's another chapter that I liked uh, really, really very much. It's a chapter about uh, what the stories are. Uh First Nations people would tell if uh, power was uh, given back to them? Uh, what stories would they tell? I mean, I think we can sort of see that in the way that stories are being told now and uh, how different those legacies are understood when we have incredible First Nations filmmakers from across the continent who are, who are now telling these stories. I think there is a long way to go until we get a proper representation and balance of the way that that story is told. But... Um, you know, in the past 50 years, there's been this huge new understanding of, of the power of these medias. And as Blackfellas, like, we're master technicians, master understanders of tools and story and narrative. And so it makes sense that we innovate in these spaces. Something that was really apparent to me in going through the archives was how many innovations First Nations filmmakers have made for generations and how little I knew about that. Um, I feel like there has there is this incredible wealth of filmmaking and storytelling and audio creation and, and rock music, all music, but particularly rock music. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the fact that I didn't know a lot of these things that are really significant and I only learned about them because I had this privilege of going through the archives points to me about like these kind of gaps of things that we celebrate in the wider society and also uh, the way that things sort of get forgotten. That's something that I was really saddened to learn and also really inspired to sort of put energy into. The movie is premiering in cinemas across major cities uh, next week. Are there any plans to screen it and uh, take it into schools? Because I believe it's very educational and uh, eye-opening and worth uh, really uh, showing it to the widest uh, possible audience. I I absolutely um, hope that it does make it into some curriculums. I think that would be really, really exciting. We haven't um, developed an education resource kit yet, but that's, you know, a plan. I think it will be really interesting to see how it's received by audiences because, you know, I've, I've been working on it for a while now, but I'm I'm very nervous to see how people will receive the film. Um, it's been a very long personal journey and it's also dealing with content that is really, really fraught. I think you're right. It is an educational tool uh, and one that I hope 
fits in a larger tapestry of um, how we tell these stories going forward and how we look at archives and look at historical documents going forward. Absolutely, and I think it's also part of uh, truth-telling. Now, before I let you go, anything you'd like to add to the conversation or bring to the attention of our listeners? Yeah, I might just add that I, I should have said that in the process of making the film, I was also really lucky to work with the incredible uh, Marawari and Filipino uh, composer and rapper uh, Dobby, a.k.a. Ryan Clapham, and um, that he has done an original score for Wanangana, which just is incredibly moving and beautiful and powerful and um was one of the great gifts of working on this film really uh was was getting to work with a multitude of people working with researchers working with curators working with archivists and and friends and family like so many people contributed to the making of of this project and um it's very very much taken a village (laughs) and it's exciting to sort of be able to now share that just money thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us about your latest uh, movie wanangana it's been a great pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for having me. Um, it was really lovely to get to Jan.